Well, you should have been. You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com. Welcome to More Fun Moments, a very special night with some very special guests and some very special co-hosts. Um, and I thank you all for joining us again. And before I, I go into our amazing night, I want to quickly explain to you what you've just tuned into. If you've no idea when I just said More Fun and you're thinking, where am I? What am I doing? Uh, a quick intro. My name is Kathleen Smith, and about four years ago, I founded Morph Mom. It started as a website to... I traveled the country, and I interviewed women uh, dealing with whatever they were dealing and telling their stories as long as those stories would help others. Um, After the first year of explaining these stories and sharing these stories, I realized something was missing. It was great that it was a virtual thing on the website on morphmom.com. 
there needed to be a little bit more actual human interaction for some. So I went back out and started cocktail parties around the country and were incredibly successful. And I think it was great for women to connect with others in the similar place that they were in. The following year, I started writing for the Huffington Post, and now um, we have classes, and we have a radio show, and we have an upcoming conference, upcoming conference in January, and it's a very, very exciting time. I think um, with everything that's gone on in recent weeks, months, years, it's a very exciting time, I think, for women to reconnect and to support one another and to make sure that we're all on track, and I think hopefully they can come to Morph Mom to accomplish that. So again, it's morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, and we list the events that are coming, the media events that are coming, and um, this will be on a podcast on iTunes tomorrow as well. So without further ado, and without further discussing myself, let's get to the people who are really important tonight. I am absolutely thrilled and honored to introduce my guest, Karen Fortunati, the author of The Weight of Zero, and my co-host tonight, Stephanie Hadley and Kate Kelly. So welcome, everybody, and it's an honor to have you all here. Hi, <laughs> Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Kelly. It's Hi, Kate Kelly. Kelly, but that's okay. People Kate do it Kelly. All the Hi, time. Kate. Kelly. Hi, Kate. <laughs> it's a very happy place. It We're already happy messing place. up. <laughs> no, there's no messing up on here. It's all good. It's all good, ladies. <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> so, and by the way, by the... That's the best thing I think about what I do is that we can all understand that um, we all make mistakes and we can laugh about them and move on, right? <laughs> so all mistakes are welcome here tonight, <laughs> I promise. Um, I want to begin with Karen. Tell us about yourself and how you came to write this book, The Weight of Zero, and, and a really, and as most of you will hear soon, a very heavy topic as well, and what it is that inspired this. Sure. I'm, I'm really happy and, and so grateful to be here tonight. So thanks so much for this opportunity. Um, I feel like I'm definitely a morph mom. Um, this is probably career number three or four for me at this point. I'm, I'm 52 years old, and so this is my, my very first book that's been published by um, Delacorte, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. So um, just a quick bio on me. I um I graduated with Stephanie from the University of Scranton. Um, we both uh, had accounting degrees, and she basically helped me get that. I would have never been able to graduate with that without her. Um, I went to Georgetown Law School, like you, Kathleen. Um, I graduated a couple years before you did. And then I worked full-time as an attorney um, for about nine years. And, you know, I there were parts of the job that I really liked um, practicing law. I really liked being a prosecutor, and I did that for about five years. And then I did a different kind of um, private practice uh, job. But um, I can remember my very first job. Um, it was at a very posh law firm in New Jersey, and looking out the window and um, thinking to myself, you know, 23 years old, good salary, is this all there is? Like, it just, I just thinking, remember thinking, you know, this might have been a mistake. Um, so I, I did get some fulfillment out of being a prosecutor, like I said. And um, about nine years after working full-time, uh, I stopped um, to take care of uh, be a full-time stay-at-home mom. 
And this coincided with our move from New Jersey to Connecticut, where my husband was starting his residency at Yale in psychiatry. So um, we wound up settling in Connecticut. Um, when my oldest child, my daughter, was around eight, I started going um, practicing part-time again, uh, just some private practice work, some child advocacy work. Uh, but again, I felt like, you know, it just wasn't doing it for me. Um, I wasn't in love with my career. Uh, and around the same time, I happened to fall in love with history. So I thought that I would go back to school through the um, Connecticut as an alternate route to certification for teaching for public school. And I thought that's what I would do, become a history teacher. And I was rejected from the program. And it was really pretty shocking for me. I, I was really um, pumped to do this. So I had this window of time open up. And I had been playing around with the idea of writing for a couple of years. I, I've never written, I had never written creatively before then, but I just, um, uh, you know, I had an idea for a story based on a really awful family vacation. And uh, so I told my husband, you know, I'm just going to sit down. I want these four months just to sit down and see if I can write this story. And what happened was I just absolutely fell in love with writing. Um, it was the first time in my life where I was doing something and I completely lost track of time. Like, that's never happened to me. I'm, I'm very aware of what I'm doing and, you know, all the other demands and, and conflicts. And so this was just, it was it's magical. Um, and, and so that's how I started writing. And I, I wrote for, I spent about four years on this one story. It was a, a middle grade story. So that's for readers like in sixth grade to seventh or eighth grade generally. And um, I just threw myself into writing. I joined a, a great organization, pretty much the leader for children's writing called um, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, SCBWI. And I was in conferences and doing workshops and joining critique groups and, um, you know, just spending a tremendous amount of time and energy into this passion of mine. Uh, and during this time, I was trying to get an agent because if you want to be published traditionally, uh, you need an agent. An agent is basically the gatekeeper to, to the big publishing companies. And it's very, very hard to get an agent. So I was sending out letter after letter. They're called queries, and just it was just a constant stream of rejections, not one bite on the story. So four years into writing, constant rejection. It just hit me one day very hard that the rejections were really, really taking a toll on me. Emotionally, my confidence was, was definitely taking a hit. And I just remember looking at myself and saying, you know what, this writing thing doesn't look like it's going to pan out for you, so now what? And um, I thought back to why I wanted to be a teacher so bad. I was really fascinated by history, and I thought I'll go back to school and I'll get a job in a museum because I love museums. So going back to school was really great for me because it took some of the intensity of writing um, and the pressure, primarily the pressure, off me. And um, I had tremendous teachers. I loved what I was learning. Um, my writing um, improved due to all the papers that I had to do. So, um, so it was just it was a great thing for me. I, I didn't quit writing. I was still writing, 
um, still trying to improve um, my craft. And uh, uh, then, like around three years ago, I got the idea for this new story. It's a, it's a, it was a young adult novel, which is a, an older, um, uh, an older reader, like high school, um, maybe freshman year of college, is the range for young adults. Although many, many adults read um, young adults. And um, it turned out to be The Weight of Zero. And it's a very heavy topic, like you said. Um, it's about a 17-year-old girl who's been, um, when you first meet her, she's in a very, very dark place. She's, uh, she's lost her grandmother. She's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She's lost her friends. Her mother's very anxious. And uh, mainly she fears the return of her depression that she calls Zero. And uh, she thinks that a life like this isn't worth living, so she forms a suicide plan. And what the story is about is how that suicide plan gets derailed. And uh, things start happening in her life. She had, she's on a new medication, which works. She's on her second uh, psychiatrist, who she actually makes a connection with. Uh, she's in a, um, an IOP, an intensive outpatient therapy program where she's making connections and friendships there. And then there's a romance that starts to develop. And her mom also changes the way she acts and helps Catherine navigate um, her way through the diagnosis. So it's a uh, very hopeful and inspiring story. It's a very proactive, positive portrayal of mental illness and mental health treatment. Um, and I was very, unlike my four years of writing my middle grade story, I had really good luck with it early on. Um, I had won a couple contests, a first page contest, and then I won a grant from the SCBWI organization, and, um, and I was able to get my agent um, about a month after I finished writing it, um, and she's absolutely amazing. She's Sarah Megabow of um, KT Literary. And then Sarah was able to sell it to um, my brilliant editor at Delacorte, um, Kate Sullivan, um, pretty soon after that. So it's been, it feels, you know, it feels amazing, um, but it was just a long time, uh, a long time coming, too. Karen, let me, let me know for one second, which is, this is an amazing journey and how I'm, I'm, I can't believe how many different roads you took to get where you are. And I, yes, I was at Georgetown Law, and I wish I'd been there when you were. And I'm going to guess I was not as successful as you were when you were there or in the classroom at any time that I was there. Um, but I'm curious how this topic, um, how when you decided to write the book, how you decided upon this topic. Um, it was uh, uh, a couple different factors. The first is that my husband is the... Um, acting medical director of Yale New Haven Psychiatric Hospital. He's a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Um, he's had a private practice for years. Um, and so just living with him, learning a lot about teen mental health and treatment uh, has really, really um, influenced me and made me a lot more aware of the tremendous potential of when uh, there's a network of support and there's quality care, um, you know, how it could really make all the difference in the world. Um, the other thing is that personally, 
I've had a lot of family and friends go through um, different types of mental health issues and crises. And uh, seeing them go through it um, and getting to the other side has been um, it's been uh, pretty profound. Um, my life's been touched by two suicides as well. Um, uh, fortunately, not um, people, you know, super close to me, but um, it's, it both had a, had a big impact on my life, much more than I ever realized. I think in writing this book, I, I, I understood just how um, affected I were by them, by both of them. Um, and then the fourth thing is just my own concerns and worries as a parent. I have two kids, and when I was writing this book, um, both of my kids were in high school at the time. And um, I, I remember being astounded at the things that, that they were going through, just the pressure seemed so much different than what I ever experienced, um, academic, social media, um, expectations about career when you're only 14 and 15 and 16 years old, how, you know, all their activities and were uh, seemed to be geared toward building their resume. And then you have all the other, you know, the standard things like drinking and drugs and, you know, questions about sexuality and gender. And um, it just seemed like just like a, a pressure cooker. And um, I was also aware when I was writing this story that, you know, my kids were growing up and, and they're getting independent, separate lives, and that's, of course, what we want as parents, but it also freaked me out in a way because I knew that there were bigger and bigger chunks of their lives that I wasn't having access to and, and wouldn't. And it, you know, it, it made me think that, you know, they might be in pain, and I might, I might not know about it, or I might not know about the extent of it. So a big part of this book for me was as a parent um, kind of working through that and, and thinking about how do I want to, how do I want my kids to act when they're, you know, when they're struggling or they're in pain? You know, I want them to have the confidence or the strength uh, or the motivation to speak out and to seek help and even... If they hit a wall and, and, and the first or second or third person they, they, they ask doesn't help, you know, I, I want them to keep pushing through. So that was a, like a huge motivation for me. Um, so, you know, in part it was, you know, just the standard pressures that kids face. Uh, a huge part of it was my thinking about kids who not only have these standard pressures, but then if they're dealing with, uh, you know, with something else much heavier, like a depression, anxiety, um, OCD, an eating disorder, bipolar disorder. So, you know, my heart was really, I was really thinking about those readers when, when I was writing this. And, and the feedback has been just amazing. Um, you know, but the book seems to, you know, touch uh, many different, many different readers from, from those readers who have those issues to those kids who don't yet relate to the pressure that goes on, um, to the bullying, to the issues about social media. Um, you know, I have grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, right, you know, tweeting, writing to me. 
um, reviewing it, and just, you know, it just kind of hits a chord with everybody. Well, I think especially one thing you just touched upon was the social media impact and how, like, that's something we didn't have growing up. And yeah. how devastating that could be. Yeah, let me chime in. Um, I, uh, it is something. I, I personally am not a mom, so it's kind of weird to be here at Morph Moms. <laughs> no, it's not It's like, don't worry. It's okay. But, um, you know, I am 36. I live in New York. I'm a professional. I work in marketing. Um, but I am very involved in social media as a part of my job. So I understand the amplification model, how far it can reach, and I've always you know, monitored or wondered what would it be like. You know, you look at when we grew up, you had to develop the film, and then that that bad picture that might come out and get posted in school came out a week later, and the likelihood of you getting that was not not very likely. Now you're in a situation where it's immediate, and the ripple effect is immediate, and, you know, it it must be so daunting for children to experience that. So... Karen, you know, in, in understanding, you know, the inspiration for your character and, you know, her day-to-day and how she, you know, she go, she keeps going back to zero. She's depressed and, and understanding that, um, you know, I have family members who are mentally ill. And I think in, in society today, you know, I always looked at it that I, I have a very deep understanding of it because a very close family member of mine is affected by it. But there is a stigma to it. There is a stigma to mental illness where it's like, it is like cancer. It is like, you can't control this, but it's coming. You know, where in your book did you, you know, where is the perception or the understanding where she finally got to the point where she accepted the fact that this is what she's doing and she's going to get through it? Um, it was it, it was a very slow process because she, she didn't feel like um, there was any hope for her. Um, and the stigma plays a huge role in that. Um, she's embarrassed to get treatment. She feels like that when she confided in her group of friends, um, they they split. They didn't, you know, they didn't understand it. They didn't want any part of it. Um, so all of that were huge factors for her. And I, I do have readers who who have written to me and you know have privately. Tweet, you know, direct message me on Twitter or, or email me um, where they say, they all tell me things and they say, I don't want to post this publicly because I'm afraid, you know, it's, I'm afraid of, of being discriminated against. Well, so, it's a reality. Uh, it is a reality. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. A, there is such a stigma involved. And for me personally, there is such a protective measure that I have over the person in my life that has dealt with mental illness and and for me personally it was it was personally the scariest thing I've ever witnessed as a human being and I count myself blessed in the sense that I haven't witnessed things globally in in a measure that so many other people witness but watching this person live in their own reality that you could not break into you could not help them and they personally did not understand what was happening around them was such a difficult thing to do but what compounded that happening and witnessing that reality was what are other people going to think what what it what i can't you know they're oh he's going crazy or he's you know it's and it still to me is something that i i won't sit here and talk about who i'm talking about because i'm not going to i don't want to expose their you know but 
it, it, it's, I think, in society today, and I think where we're at with suicide, and, you know, suicide comes from mental illness, you know, like, this is an epidemic in, in the world and in the country that we live in, where it's perpetuated by not helping, not wanting to, not realizing that this is what this person is going through and how to help them. And again, the stigma involved, I think, as a society, you know, it's it's looked down upon, you know, whereas cancer, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry, you you know, but with mental illness, there is such a, oh, I don't want to talk about it, or, and I think for those who endure it and go through it, you know, how many people in this country are on Prozac, <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying yeah. that laughing, I'm saying that as no, a, no. you know, why aren't people more willing to talk about this, this this epidemic in our country and this reality that, you know, people are facing. And I think, you know, when you mentioned in school, the social media, the impact, the this, the, the, the ability, like you are judged in such a, a manner that everything is under a microscope because one false move, it's going to be on Twitter or going to be here. Um, I think you've touched a real something that's going on in our society that people it needs to be talked about needs to be spoken about yeah and you know it's um with with depression in girls teen girls on the rise and uh you know teen depression i think is the second leading cause uh, teen suicide is the second leading cause of um death i think in the ages of like 15 to 19 um it's it's really really frightening and uh uh, Stephanie just um, organized at um, Del Barton High School uh, for um, my husband, uh, Frank, and myself to do a talk, and um, a, a talk on teen mental health, because parents are, you know, we're all concerned about how do we monitor our kids. Um, and, uh, Steph, we thought there'd be, like, what, 20 or 30? Yeah, when we started out, we thought it was going to be a, a nice small group very manageable, and it wound up being close to 100 people that showed up. And we did it as part of, um, there's a, a couple who actually lost their son to suicide, and um, we did it as part of a two-part program. Um, Remembering TJ was uh, the program where um, Wendy Sethsick came in and spoke about their child, who was beautiful, athletic, warm uh, sun and, you know, appeared to, to have everything and was suffering from depression. And, you know, it is it is a sickness and something that you know, people can't help. So yeah, it was yeah. very good that the school brought this to people's attention. So that was the first part of the program where you could, you know, listen to them, share their story and ask questions. And, you know, they travel the country to show to try to show people that it's not a stigma and it's something that we do need to have open dialogue about with our families and then we were lucky enough to have karen and frank come in and um, karen spoke about her book and then frank gave us the signs to look for in our children and really to tell us the importance of you know having open dialogue there should not be a stigma to this and and stephanie karen when you said that um karen's husband gave the signs to look for what were some of those signs that we should look for um or what are some of those signs have, yeah well um in our teens uh excessive irritable irritability uh, mood swings um fatigue 
uh, excessive sleeping um, or not sleeping, um, mood swings that affect the family dynamic. Um, Appetite. Interest, right. Uh, yeah, loss of interest in things that, he, you know, normally he or she gets enjoyment out of. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, anything else. I think those were sort of like basically the, the, the major but, red flag. And, and, they, and, and Frank did explain, Frank, your, your husband did explain that it is hard when you have teenagers that, you know, don't get enough sleep and are, have so much stress with between social media and schoolwork and applications and college. It's such a fine line, and it's so hard to determine if those are normal teenage stressors or if there's something beyond that. Yes. That's what I was just going to ask you. So, I mean, I, I know those are the signs, but then having had two already go through this and one about to go through it, I can't tell day to day. Sometimes I get a, a sentence. Sometimes I get a word. Sometimes, how, like, when do you distinguish that it's gone too far? And I know that's really a hard question to answer, but like, yeah, how do you yeah, know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, I, I think that what he suggested was you, you look for kind of uh, outside um, outside flags, like does his coach or teacher or her, um, her friend say anything? Um, are there other people who are noticing it? Um, are you not doing family activities because you, you have to take into account uh, something that the mood or the, uh, you know, decision of, of your child. Um, I, I think basically, um, you know, my sense uh, is that you just, you just keep at it and you keep asking. And you may keep getting one-word responses, but you look for opportunities um, where you can try and get, you try and get the information out of, out of your son or daughter. And you know what, if you're not getting it and you see some of these things um, where, you know, not eating, not sleeping, um, not doing activities they normally do, um, uh, you know, then it's time to, you know, to, to start talking. Um, uh, go, to, go to the guidance counselor, go to a favorite teacher or coach, um, your pediatrician. Um, you know, the, I think one of the important things is that there's, you try to keep an open dialogue with, with your kid as much as possible. Like just from writing this book over the last two years, I've gotten so conscious, conscious of what I say in terms of mental health and treatment. Like I stay, words, I stay away from words like crazy or nuts or she didn't take, you know, not that I would say this, but I've heard it said to me, she didn't take her meds or... He needs therapy, and I try to foster an environment that's very, if you don't feel good, you go to the doctors. If you feel sad, then, you know, you go speak to somebody. Like a very proactive, positive approach to treatment. And I try to be open about my own issues. I'm, you know, I'm a very anxious person, a very anxious mom. And so I, I try to be open about that and, and let them know when I'm struggling with something. So, um could be a start. And I think that's why even the Remembering TJ uh, program was so important to have that before Karen and Frank came in because that program was shown to our boys first and then they had a parent session. And what that did was after the parents left, 
you had an in with your son to say, hey, this was the program, you know, this, we can talk about this. It's not something that, you know, we need to hide. So, Question for you. If, uh, I just want to know, what were the kids' responses? How are they responding to this? What, you know, you're, so this, I, what I'm gathering from the, the, what you're telling us about, this, this boy, TJ, apparently did commit suicide. Um, you guys came together and had this, you know, opportunity to speak with one another. But what were the kids saying? What, were the, what was their response? How did they feel about their own peer being gone? I think that must have left an impact and, and would love to know what, what they said to you about it. It, it did. It was, it, it's very sad whenever you hear anything um, like that happening. And, and actually, when my son, so my son's a senior now, so he heard it this year. But when he was in middle school, our town had a similar uh, program. Um, a different child had committed suicide. Completely different situation. This child was bullied online um, through social media and tried to handle it on his own, and he couldn't. So that was the first time we had opened the dialogue up with our child, but this was a perfect chance to bring it up again with our son, and he was open to it. It, it, It's so sad when you hear of these stories because they are happening all over. Um, There was a recent one this past year, I think, Kathleen and Summit. There was. was, It's funny, as you were saying that, Stephanie, I was just thinking about that. And a senior in high school, and it was... um, it, it was absolutely devastating to the entire, like the entire community. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but there was a suicide one day uh, in the fall of his senior year, and just uh, I don't know, I don't know where you go from there or how you, I don't know how you figure out how to move on from that. I, I, I don't know, I don't know. What and, you it, do. and it is so devastating because really that story could be any of our stories. Right. That's right, and that's and what's that's so terrifying. What it- I didn't mean to interrupt, but. That's what's so terrifying about this is, you know, you hear the stories and everyone recounts. I was just with him yesterday and he, and, and, and of any story, they'll be, oh, they were great yesterday. They were fine. I was just with them. They seemed fine. And I think that is what is so terrifying about this is you just don't know. You, you, uh, you know, when I asked about the, the warning signs or the symptoms or the, is there anything that can tell you, that, you know, that you should be paying closer attention? And it's so hard with a teenager to know well, because it's just you know and hearing those things that you guys described i recall being a teenager and i had mono i was literally doing the exact same things that you guys were talking about um but you know obviously it wasn't a sign of dep- you know I'm, I'm not saying you know i i had mono and i'm not saying that there's anything right or wrong with that but you know i think that understanding those signs it's just it's a double-edged sword it's a double-edged sword from my point of view in the sense that if you push too hard because you think that this is the situation then you're going to drive them away and they don't want to talk to you but if you're too you know there and and again i i don't have children so i can only sit here and empathize or sympathize for the situation that you're at but in this you know it it is a you know it's a hard i think road to walk you know, for, for mothers, you know, and it's also a situation where I sometimes, you know, I'm going to be completely honest, back off. You know, sometimes these kids just want to be able to do what they want to do in their own ways. And if they want to be goth, let them be goth. That's, they're going through a phase. But I think, you know, just trying to look at it from an outstander or from a bystander point of view, 
it's a difficult road you guys are walking. And, um, you know, it is hard to judge whether you're there, you're there, you're there, you know. Um, it's a terrifying, actually, I think it's, it's, it's scary. Yeah. And actually, Karen, I have a question. So as Kate was saying, like, you know, just going in general, but in the book, In the Weight of Zero, um, the teenager was suffering from a bipolar disorder. So how, as far as your, like, investigation to that and how that affects um, I, I don't know, as far as the suicide rate, what was your determination about that? Um, well, I think there's a, there's a higher percentage of suicides for people who, um, who have bipolar disorder. Um, and uh, it's probably a function of the, you know, the depressions. Or, um, bipolar disorder can present in many, many, many ways, whereas some people... Um, suffer more from the depression, some people have more of the manias, so it's, it's, I think it's pretty individual. And I want to make it clear, I'm no expert at all. Um, uh, my husband was instrumental in giving me, um, educating me as much as I um, uh, needed to be for this book. Um, any mistakes in it are all mine. Uh, <laughs> but I do know that um, for bipolar disorder, um, if you have it, um, you know, the, the, the rate of suicide is, is higher. Um, addiction and substance abuse rates are also higher, too. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a chronic mental Ill, illness that, that can be managed. Um, uh, but, you, know, it, you know, I think people, if they're, um, if they're on a good med and they have a good, ther- a good therapy or a good support network, it's, it's, it's manageable, like diabetes or high blood pressure or any other chronic illness. Where, where do you see, you know, where do you see the, the mother and the father? I think, I think sometimes with, with, with that paradigm or that you have with children and with parents, sometimes their own issues are reflected on their children and vice versa where a mother might not be willing to accept the fact that she might be battling through something and that is then projected on the child where do you find that opportunity because let's talk about you know i mean mothers who are going through this feeling these ways or feeling that they don't want to be a mother or they're this is overwhelming or you know i'd love to understand from you guys knowing Kathleen knows this. I just had a six month old for a week <laughs> on my own because her mom w- and father were away. And, uh, so I got to experience being a single mom working full time. Um, and I give you single mothers so much credit. Oh my God. I want to bow down to you. I literally like, I, I, I thought I had it. But the dog <laughs> threw me over the edge. Let's be honest. I was fine. But, you know, coming to understand this, you know, where there's a blurred line, you know, I think, you know, in understanding and just that seven days of, of understanding that where 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 does that line differentiate and how can you know I'm not projecting on my child or I'm owning my own, own your shit. Like I like to say, Kathleen knows that's my little motto, own your shit. But with mothers, like, you know, sometimes I feel like when I hear them speak, their own insecurities are now projected on their child. And how do you guys, how do you go through that world and keep those things different or separate? Well, 
I don't know, Karen and Stephanie, what do you guys think about that? I think that's a hard one. I think, Me too. <laughs> I think they always try to keep it separate, but, um, you know, there's, so I guess sometimes if you're anxious about something or, yeah, you try not to let your children know that, but sometimes it's also okay to let them know because then they see that you are, you're just as human as they are, and then it almost sometimes lets them feel comfortable having certain feelings that they're having. So, yeah, I agree. I don't think that there's a, a right or wrong answer as to how to handle it. But sometimes I feel that the more open you are with your children, sometimes I think that might not be a bad thing. Yeah, I yeah, think I, so. I agree. Uh, Stephanie, I'm but, sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that was, no, that that, was it. That was, that was oh. me. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that, though. I think sometimes you sort of, like, you are who you are. And it, it, it happens, and then you kind of have to... I think if you own it with your kids... Yeah, I think, exactly. Right, I think if you kind of fess up to what happened, and maybe you yelled at something you weren't happy about, or you you you're, you dealt with something the way, in retrospect, you may not have wanted to do... You know, in retrospect, you could have handled it better. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the best part is the honesty with the kids. And then going back and saying, look, I'm human, and I made a mistake. And I, I think, you know, now that I've thought about it, I could have handled it differently. You could have handled, you know, like, almost like not a negotiation, but sort of like a kind an of honest Jesus discussion. Moment. Yeah, yeah. With the and some, yeah, and sometimes it makes you more approachable because yeah. then they realize you're not, you know, you're not like the king and queen that never does anything wrong, and I can't talk to you because you do everything perfect. They realize then that you are human and and yeah. that they can talk to you about those things. So, so Karen, I want to go back to the weight of zero for a minute and. So we, uh, so for those of you joining us, it's it's an absolute honor to be sitting here with Karen Fordinati about her novel, The Weight of Zero, and about a 17-year-old who is suffering from a bipolar disorder who goes through a suicide attempt, but um, there is a positive outcome who, who influences in her life, gets her through this. And when you were writing this, what um, did you think was the most significant influence that allowed her to come through this? It was it. It was the combination. There was no one thing that got her through it. It was a network. It was uh, many pieces in her life supporting her. So it was a psychiatrist, a good psychiatrist, because she didn't connect with her first one. Um, it was a medication. She had been on numerous other meds that didn't work. This one is. She's in a, a therapy group that actually is effective and um, I love the last question because it a big chunk of her uh, support comes from her mother the mother had initially when all this was going down really kind of clamped down in a defensive and understandable kind of isolationist like I'm gonna Catherine I don't want you on the internet you know I want to know exactly where you're going I'm gonna track you via your phone and um, it, it turned out just to, to be a, more harmful than good. Uh, and the mom in the book um, goes through sort of an epiphany where she realizes that she's holding her daughter back and she needs to get a handle on her own anxiety. And so she goes into therapy um, just to, you know, talk through um, her own issues. And um, uh, that is so significant for Catherine to see her mother kind of owning up 
and uh, and taking charge of her own issues, that honesty and openness. Just what Stephanie, you had mentioned, and Kathleen, um, in terms of how we treat our own kids. So, you know, the, the mom herself goes through this huge um, uh, this huge evolution herself. That's positive. So. Um, so to answer your question, it was just a great network coming together. So, um, uh, and I think that's really what you need uh, anyway for anyone's, uh, you know, recovery or, or mental health care. It's, you know, you need, you need support from a bunch of different um, sources. And I would think, like, watching her mother setting the example that it's okay to do this and to go ahead would be hugely impactful especially in a society like as this book is clearly and necessarily exemplifying that it's not easy to discuss mental illness and it's not easy to discuss the results and and what could happen as a result of that. But to be so brave and go out and do that for your child, I think is so impactful. And you would hope that's a lesson that people take from the book as well, that you know, it, it exists. It's not something to hide. It's it's a condition, and as a result, we all need to help the you know to help that child, but to also help the parents deal with it. I, I, I guess is sort of your message. Yes, absolutely. I love. I loved. That's what I loved about the book, is that even though it is a dark topic, by the end of the book, I was I couldn't put it down. I was in tears, but they were happy tears because it was such a story of hope. And resilience, it, it was just, and I want it, I keep saying to Karen, I want it to be made into a movie. I think whoever takes this book and turns it into a screenplay for a movie, it will be a, it'll be a top movie in the theaters because it, it's just such a, it's such a great book in so many different aspects. I loved it. Thank you, Steph. <laughs> And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> I really loved it. <laughs> and, and actually, my daughter and her friends read it. And, you know, so it's not just me as an adult. I mean, it's, an, it's a young adult book, but they loved it. One of her friends said it's her, the favorite book she's ever read. So it's just such a, a story of hope. It, it, it all comes together. Which is so exciting because with a subject that so many people are afraid to openly discuss, isn't it great that there's something we can go to that has an ending of hope and has a positive ending and has the significant and, and so important message that this is something we can talk about openly because that's going to get us to a positive place. Exactly. That's, that's what I love about it. Well, is I it, think, yeah. it, it educates you, but it's just, uh, it's got a great ending and it, it's, and it's true. You know, it's like a true to life story. It's not something that's made up. Well, and it's opening the dialogue and getting, you know, bringing things into perspective for those to read, to understand that this is not something that happens to somebody that you don't necessarily know. This could happen to anybody that you know, you know, and it's not something to be viewed upon and judged. It's something to be viewed upon and embraced because no matter who you are, it might affect you. And to be able to understand that and support that person that it might happen to, you've kind of tied that all together. Yeah, absolutely. That was the goal. Yeah, that was the goal. Absolutely. And, and Karen, tell us about how um, readers and those who are, and I'm sure after hearing this, cannot wait to get this book, how do you go about getting The Weight of Zero? So it's it's available pretty much everywhere. Um, You can go online, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, indie bound, um, 
It's in stores. It's in uh, Barnes and Noble, and uh, I think most of the um, independent bookstores in the city have it. Um, it's um, in libraries, uh, so it's it's pretty easy to get. It's been out for a month now, um, and uh, uh, so uh, you know I don't think there's a question about stock. So <laughs> it's, it's it's available, readily available. Well, I want to thank you so much for having the courage and, and everything you've done to, to get this book out to us and a, and a subject that's difficult. It's just a difficult subject to discuss, but you've made it much more, or it's much more readily now available that you can sit there and talk to somebody about this. And it, it, it's not the stigma. It, it's something that we need to talk about. It's prevalent. And the more we talk about it, the more we can prevent horrific things from happening in the future as well. So, Karen, I thank you so much. And, Stephanie, an amazing guest host. Okay, my amazing guest host. And, Karen, I can't thank you enough for this. And I can't encourage you all, anyone out there tonight, to go out and get this book immediately because I think it applies to all of us in some way. And, unfortunately, it does. Like, it will touch us all at some point in our lives, our children at some point in their lives. And that's what's so significant and so important about this book is it shows that there there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There, is, there can be a positive ending to all of this. And so, Karen, I thank you so much for bringing that into this in a very dismal time, that there, there can be a positive way to approach this. Oh, thank you for having me, Kathleen. I really appreciate it. It was so great to be here tonight with you. Oh, it was an absolute honor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go dark right now, but <laughs> it is positive. I do want to throw out a shout-out, um, a very – somebody I've known, I think – since I can remember being alive. Uh, her name is Laura Detallo Fahey. Uh, she and I, or we went to school together. I grew up with her. And um, on Sunday, she was running a half marathon in Newton, Massachusetts, one of many marathons, half marathons. She was a runner by choice. She was an excellent athlete. Um, she suffered cardiac arrest. And unfortunately, today, she passed away. I haven't spoken to Laura probably in 10 years, but I know her family, I know her sister, and I know she was an amazing mother to two beautiful kids. So I want to throw a shout out to her. I'm sorry I'm upset about it, but she was a beautiful soul. She had an an affectious spirit, and she will be sorely missed by so many. So Laura, God got a beautiful angel today. And um, you'll be sorely missed by a lot of people. And I send a shout-out to your husband and your two beautiful babies and all of your family. And um, the class of 98 from Weston High School in Connecticut, you were amazing, and we loved you. So on that note, everyone, thank you so much. Um, Thank you, everybody, for participating tonight. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Karen. Um, We'll see you all next week on more fun moments. Um, I'll see you then. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thanks, Kathleen. So wait, Karen and Stephanie, see ya. Trust and believe yourself. You don't need nobody else. That's what my mama told me. 
going gets hard And in life, no, you're gonna get scarred But everything that's meant to be Will surely be Take a deep breath in 